Hey everyone, Jim Williams, sports director of SportsTalkFlorida.com, and with me today on the Sunshine Boys podcast is our regulars, Joe Henderson and Ira Kaufman, and joining us uh, from Boston, Tim Williams, who has been covering the Gators for Sports Talk Florida guys. Outstanding college weekend for the first week of the season. Some phenomenal matchups, some great games. I'll tell you, it was just a, a – and if you're a college football fan, you couldn't have asked for a better start to the season. That Florida State-Mississippi game last night was just – that was off the off the chain. That was just um, – I had Florida State dead and buried, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who did. And uh, the way that they were being manhandled, Ira, and I think you would agree on this, they didn't look like they belonged on the same field with Ole Miss for – much of the first half when Dalvin Cook their great running back gives away four points by just dropping the ball near the goal line you're going this is not Florida State's night Uh, the young freshman quarterback looked just totally like you know what am I doing here type of thing and all of a sudden boom and Florida State really wins it going away and uh, just a phenomenal effort by the Seminoles maybe justified the hype a little bit uh, of how good they can be. Ira, you, you wrote know, a, uh, you wrote a big uh, column on FSU this morning. I did. You know, Jim, uh, one of the sidelights to that game was um, the writer from the Tampa Bay Times who, who was uh, in, in Orlando for the game. And uh, I see on Twitter at, at about 11 o'clock at night, you know, he, he tweets like, you know, my final deadline's midnight. You think I'm going to make it? And he didn't make it, Jim. I mean, that game went on forever. Now, no Knowles fan in his right mind is, is going to complain uh, about the outcome and how long it took. Joe, um, so I think it's uh, a reflection in, in one way, if you want to look at it like that, um, in, how much, in how much talent. Jimbo Fisher has stockpiled to overcome 15 penalties, 11 in the first half, against a quality opponent, ranked football team. As you mentioned, Dalvin Cook drops the ball, waltzing in for a touchdown. The offensive line, horrible, first half, never gave Francois a chance. And Jim, when the smoke clears, you know, the Noles win it going away. I mean, the talent level, uh, uh, some of these schools, is, is just phenomenal. You know, Ira, to your point on that, one of the things I don't think Jimbo Fisher and his staff gets enough credit for, and you're not going to win games if you don't do this properly, is identifying where the problem areas were and making adjustments. And when they went into halftime and – Basically, Jimbo Fisher didn't even have a voice, (laughs) but he went in and you just had a feeling when they came out the second half and started playing the way they were playing that, okay, we figured out you got us the first half. It's now our turn. And that whole paradigm shifted. But I think if you look at it, in my mind, it was the coach's ability to realize, okay, here's where we made our mistakes. Here's where we screwed up. Here's what we did right. Okay. Now let's go out and play like we know we can play. And not a lot of football teams, as you said, have that kind of talent that can do that. 
And, Jim, to that point, uh, Joe, isn't that like seven straight times the the Gators have won a uh, – the uh, the Knolls have won a game when trailing at the half? I, I believe that's right. Uh, I, I can't honestly say I know that stat, but here's what I, I will say is – to me, the key play in that football game was the touchdown pass uh, from Francois near the end of the first half. Um, yeah. That uh, This little warning bell went off in the back of my head at that point going, well, game's not over yet. Hold on. Uh, if he throws a pick, if he gets sacked and knocked out of field goal range, whatever, I think uh, Florida State has a much tougher time coming back in that game. But I credit – the way Florida State kept their poise when this thing just seemed to be spiraling out of control. And for that, you have to give Jimbo Fisher and his staff an enormous amount of credit because part of uh, winning football, as we all know, is is being able to keep your poise and uh, realize that there was still a lot of football left to play. And that's exactly what Florida State did. And, and, Jim, I love the fact that there was Winston, you know, on the sidelines. The Bucks had, uh, uh, you know, finished their practice at, at noontime. He had plenty of time to get down to Orlando. Um, and there was Winston cheering on uh, yet another redshirt freshman, Joe. Now, I'm not, yeah. I'm not saying Francois is going to be Jameis Winston, but it was a heck of a debut. Joe, and there were a couple of third and 15s where that kid hung in there and took a hit to deliver the football. He, um, he's an exciting runner. Uh, let's put it like this, Mr. Williams. Uh, barring an injury, uh, we might have seen the last of uh, Mr. Sean McGuire. Yeah, there was a shot of him on the sideline during, during the game that just seemed to look have this look of like, well, that's it for me. Uh, I'm, I'm the backup quarterback for the rest of the year. And, of course, we don't know that. Things can happen. Um, you know, it's one game. It was a great game. But, you know, he's still a freshman. And uh, you've got a senior quarterback there. And, and I'm sure Jimbo Fisher is going to do what he can to keep him ready to play. But here's – how many times have we seen something like this? Not often, I would think. Florida State's down 22 points, right? Their, their penalties all over the place. The quarterback is getting no time. It's getting beaten up. Dalvin Cook wasn't doing much. And all of a sudden, boom, a, uh, they score the next 30 points. And this is not against, you know, a, some mediocre opponent. This is against an SEC, a high-caliber team, ranked 11th in the country, and they just flat took that thing away from Ole Miss. And if, if Florida State goes on uh, to, to make the college football playoffs, I really believe we'll look back at that pass, that touchdown pass near the end of the first half, and say that was a big tur- turning point uh, in the game and maybe their season. Well, and that's what I always look for in week one college football games are those confidence builders that – a player or a team or both can really use to build on. And, you know, Florida State has what would be for college football almost a an atypical way to start their season. They started against a ranked team, a very good opponent, whereas a lot of schools that are highly ranked tend to start off against 
what they call cupcakes. So they had an early test, and Ole Miss put them to the test. They took pretty big lead in the first half. But you're right, that touchdown pass toward the end of the half really instilled some confidence in the Florida State offense, and they never looked back after that. And that's early on in the season, that's really what you look for to see if the team can keep building on that later on and keep drawing back to, well, they were down and then they came back. So if they did that in week one, that can set the tone for their whole season. And, and Jim, you know, it reminds us, all, all of us have, have watched sports for a while, and, and it's another reminder, guys, whether it's the tennis match, um, basketball, uh, or what we saw last night. Um, Jim, once you lose momentum in sports, it can be very, very difficult to regain your footing. Well, and, and, and how about this, sports fans? We haven't even talked about this. Is uh, You've got uh, Ricky Aguayo as a freshman comes out and right. just, you know, was phenomenal. He's six for six in field goals three from over 40 yards, a freshman. And, you know, the, the coaches always talk about winning the three parts of the game, and, and we tend to overlook special teams. But, you know, when you've got a weapon like that, that really puts a lot of pressure on an opposing defense. And if, if he can keep that up, uh, Florida State has him another uh, Groza candidate uh, at that position. I got, I got the Bucks taking them in the first round in a couple of years. Watch I think out. you might be on to something. <laughs> you know, special teams decide a lot of close football games. So if Florida State ends up in that situation where they're neck and neck with another team, say if they make the playoff and they have to play one of the other top-ranked opponents, and it comes down to who makes the fewest mistakes – Having a kicker that can be reliable, and let's face it, one game is only one game, but it's a great start. And if they can get reliability out of their kicker, they might just be able to win close games that a lot of other teams just can't win because they don't put that emphasis on the third phase. And, and well, Jim, you know, there's a long, Jim, there's a long way to go, but, you know, let's remember this in the back of our mind. Uh, if the Knolls get on a run, and, uh, and and are standing tall near the end of the year, uh, where's the championship game? Right here uh, at Raymond James Stadium. Uh, they would have a few fans in the building, Jimmy. Yeah, that would be great for, for Florida State. It would almost be a home field advantage, especially as – the Buccaneers have such a tie to Florida State at this point. So it almost seems like even more so because of that, Raymond James would play a lot like a home game for for Florida State. Well, if, if Florida State had come out of the barn 0-1 after all of this buildup uh, had fallen way down in the in the rankings, think if, if Ole Miss had kept that up last night, right? They're up. Uh, they're up big in the first half. Uh, it looks like they're going to cruise. Let's say that, that they keep that up and they go on and, and register a blowout win over the Seminoles. Now, all of a sudden, Ole Miss is in the playoff picture. 
Florida State is is relegated to a lot of questions about them. It would have been really hard uh, for them to crawl out from under that. Now, there would have been time. It's just the first game of the season. But the way that game was going just looked like uh, it was it was going to leave Florida State uh, with a much narrower path to the playoffs. And the fact that they were able to pull out of that uh, is a credit to them and a, a major blow to Ole Miss because – I guarantee you, Hugh Freeze this morning is sitting there thinking, you know what, we had that, and what what a boost that would have been to our program. But that's why they play uh, two halves. They would have had to run the table, right, Joe? The Knowles would have had to run the table. They no, definitely uh, no two loss team is yeah. going to get in, and right. uh, no more no more no margin for error for FSU yeah. if they uh, if they None. lost that game. So, you know, and what about uh, what about those Gators? Very shaky well, performance. <laughs> Very shaky performance. Uh, there's a lot of hand-wringing going on, uh, uh, Tim, after a win uh, up in Gainesville. I mean, you had uh, maybe the highlight was uh, a very animated Steve Spurrier. Uh, I-, I wish the Gator offense was, was as animated as uh, the old ball coach, uh, Tim. Yeah, I joked during the game that when or well before the game when Steve Spurrier was going through his routine it almost reminded me of the build up to a wrestling match just in the way that he was he grabbed a microphone there he is standing at the middle of the field firing up the crowd it i was wondering if they had security guys making sure that no one from UMass came up behind him with a chair <laughs> <laughs> yeah that was uh that, it's that great that was... your back, right, Joe? It's oh, great that Spurrier back. And he's back where he belongs. I mean, that is – I don't think anybody doubts that, uh, even as long as he coached at South Carolina, and he had very good success there. But Steve Spurrier is a Gator. He is the Gator. You know, people um, can um, say what they want about Tim Tebow, and, and that's no disrespect to Tim Tebow. Uh Tim Tebow, maybe Spurrier 2.0, but in terms of identification with the program, uh, it's hard to top the old ball coach. And you can tell it in his in his face, in his voice, uh, and everything about him. He is home, and the Gators have to feel good about that. You know, Joe, uh, here on the politically politically uh, the Sunshine Voice podcast, uh, I'm Jim Lambsies. Sports Director of uh, Sports Talk Florida, I'm Joe Henderson, who you just heard, Tim Williams, and of course, the amazing Ira Kaufman. I had, watching that game the other day, had written down that it was a four-visor game for me, as far as, that's about, <laughs> I figured Steve would have thrown at least four, maybe five visors down before, um, you know, possibly before halftime, uh, because nobody likes to score points more than Steve, and it's Crazy as that game went, that was definitely a four-visor game from my standpoint. Now, now, do we know that he wasn't throwing visors up in the press box? We can't, no, that I, have, I don't know. I, I don't know. Tim, you, know you, the, you saw that. Well, you watched the game. Yeah, the, the biggest thing about, about Spurrier mm-hmm. was he could take a somebody who was maybe a 
middling quarterback talent and turn them into something special. And he must have been just aghast at watching the quarterback play of the Gators the other night. It was, it that's not going to get it done in the Southeastern Conference. Uh, I mean, it barely got it done against UMass. Yeah. Um, I'm a little shocked, guys. Uh, I'm a little that one of the cradles of college football uh, over the last uh, 20, 25 years, Gainesville, um, can't find themselves, can't seem to find themselves, uh, a bona fide uh, playmaker under center. Um, you know, we're, we're, Tebow's been gone for a while, guys, and I'm not asking for another Tim Tebow, but I am asking uh, for a guy uh, to uh, get get the Gator faithful excited as a quarterback. I'm 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 a little surprised uh, it, it's taken this long. I think Florida's playmakers are going to be coming from their receiving core right now. They've got Brandon Powell had a very good day in the sec, or at least in the second half on Saturday night, and so did Antonio Callaway, who also returns a lot of kicks for the Gators. Those guys have a lot of speed. They have a lot of explosiveness and could really make – that could be the impact players that Florida needs for their offense. But you're right, it's not going to be coming from the quarterback position. That said, Luke Del Rio really did rebound from a very bad first half and got something together in the second half, especially in that fourth quarter. Really, the Gators only played one quarter out of the four. And that's no disrespect to a UMass program that's still very much a work in progress. Just 11 years ago, when I was in college at Northeastern, which was an FCS school that no longer even plays football, they used to play UMass. So that's how far the Minutemen have come. And they played, especially on defense, they played very well for three quarters. But, of course, even with the Gators sleepwalking, UMass playing well was only going to be able to hold Florida close, and it only lasted so long. The defense really sparked the Gators in the fourth quarter, and Del Rio kind of pulled away a little bit, and he looked a lot better in that fourth quarter. Maybe that's the confidence builder he needs. Not quite as spectacular as what Florida State had last night, but a win is a win, even though in college football the margin matters. Well, here you go, too. You look back at that Gator game, and this, again, no disrespect to UMass, but you don't think of UMass as a team that's going to come in and be able to to go toe-to-toe with the Gators for pretty much three quarters. And where you could tell what the the real worrisome uh, aspect of that game for Gator fans, I think, was the way their offensive line played. Um, they really did not give the young quarterback uh, Luke Del Rio much protection, um, and uh, he uh, even more tellingly uh, was the lack of a running game by the Gators. Uh, they carried the ball 29 times, only gained 107 yards, and that's that's not going to get it done uh, if uh, down the road when you're going to be facing these some of these powerhouse SEC teams with with you know we saw the defensive line of Ole Miss last night the the problems that they caused Florida State and when you get into the to the Tennessees and the, and all the other opponents 
that Florida is going to have to uh, to face this year. Um, that that's uh, that offensive line is an area where they need to grow up and they need to grow up fast. I don't think there's any question about that. And uh, you know, I think that uh, I do believe that given time, Jim McElwain will be able to find a quarterback for uh, Florida. He is that that's what he was known as, and what he probably the reason that Jeremy brought him in to be the head coach was his ability to work with young quarterbacks and get stuff done. Tell you what, guys, let's step aside on the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams with Ira Kaufman, Joe Henderson, and Tim Williams, and we will be back after these messages, and we'll be talking a little bit about South Florida, Miami, and the other teams in the state of Florida. Welcome back to the Sunshine Boys podcast. I'm Jim Williams, Sports Director of Sports Talk Florida, along with Joe Henderson, Ira Kaufman, and Tim Williams. You're listening to the uh, podcast on sportstalkflorida.com as well as blogtalkradio.com. And uh, guys, we talked about the Gators and the Seminoles. How about let's talk a little bit about USF and South Florida's big uh, victory over a not-so-easy Towson team. Yeah, uh, a very good win for USF. Um, not error-free, but uh, they uh, they really came out, I think, and were just uh, – they won the game 56-20, to 20, for those who, who don't remember. Um, and they looked very good at times. They looked sloppy at times. Um, won the game because they had uh, it was pretty obvious they had far too much speed far too much uh offensive power, firepower for Towson uh, for Towson but um all in all it, I'd I would give them maybe a B for that game certainly not an A mm -hmm. um but uh quarterback Quentin Flowers uh a very good night for USF uh had uh, four touchdowns total he ran for two and threw for two and uh, showed why uh, he provides an element uh, that will give a lot of opposing defensive coordinators uh, headaches as they go forward. One little, I guess, nervousness, if you're a Bulls fan, is uh, Marlon Mack, uh, USF's outstanding running back, was, was belted very hard in the second quarter. And is uh, as of this taping is under concussion protocol for this week's game against uh, Northern Illinois, a very good Northern Illinois team. And uh, he says he's going to be okay. Uh, uh, Bulls coach Willie Taggart seems to to act like he's going to be okay. But you know, I don't believe any of that until I look out on the field and and see him in the huddle. So uh, a word of caution there for Bulls fans. But overall. Certainly uh, a pretty good opening night. You know, Jim, uh, one, thing, one, one thing about USF, I think, uh, when you think about football in the state of Florida, uh, to me, you think about speed and athleticism, you know, mm -hmm. as opposed to uh, when you're thinking about Wisconsin, you're thinking about, you know, a 310-pound uh, mauler, uh, you know, who's going to be picked uh, in number eight overall in the NFL draft and, and have a nice career up front. Um, Joe, USF not only has speed, 
but Taggart is, is really being adept at using it. Um, they are an exciting team, Joe, uh, with an emerging fan base playing in an NFL stadium. Um, and the speed really knocks you out. And uh, I think USF opponents, Joe, they better not uh, take that game-breaking speed for granted because uh, they uh, they can score from anywhere on the field. Well, they they certainly can. Um, the I, I would I would look at them and say that the position that has improved the most overall in the last uh, from when Willie Taggart first came here uh, now uh, four years ago to where they are now is uh, the wide receiver position. They can just run people out there at you. They can go four. They can go five wides. They can really. Uh, cause a lot of problems for opposing teams because it's kind of a pick your poison type of situation. And when you have running back uh, the caliber of Mac and a quarterback, uh, Quentin Flowers, who can throw it or can run it, a real dual threat guy, now you're going you're gonna to break some big plays, you're going to score a lot of points, and you're going to make life a little bit easier for your defense. You know, Joe and I are in Tim D. Um, over the weekend, we got to see – uh, a Houston team upset Oklahoma, and I think that uh, you know you're you're going to start seeing some people taking a look at some of these AAC teams, being Houston and South Florida, and and if they're auditioning for the Big Twelve, uh, I think that these two schools have that kind of energy and that kind of up tempo. Uh, scoring ability that is known in the uh, in the in the big 12, at least at this point with their high powered offenses and, you know, matador defenses in some regards. <laughs> well, based, based on what I saw from that Houston game Saturday, maybe it's Oklahoma ought to be asking if they can get in the AAC. Yeah. Um, so the other way around, uh, Houston can play with anybody in the country. Uh, they their last going back to their bowl game last year. They beat right. uh, Florida state really beat them up pretty good in the uh, Peach Bowl. Then they come out. Uh, you called an upset, and I guess technically it would be, but I watched that game, and it sure didn't seem like an upset. Uh, and I would I would bet Bob Stoops uh, doesn't think it, uh, that it's an upset. He's very disappointed with his team. But he, you know, he could tell that that Houston team is a load. They are well coached. They are deep. And you know, right now you got to look at them and say uh, that if there's a what the non-power five conference, uh, maybe only uh, their their best representative to to maybe get in the college football playoffs. And I think if Houston runs the table and wins the AAC, that they're going to have a very very strong case uh, to get in the playoffs. I really do. I think it'd be fun oh, to see right. South Florida and, and and Houston in that championship game. If that oh that that game might be eighty to seventy nine. <laughs> you you made a great half. point, Jim. Jim, you made a great point uh, because we have to remember the backdrop uh, of what's going on with some of these teams. Is uh, this is a grand uh, audition, um, and it's a very competitive situation. Houston staking a claim. USF, Memphis, Brigham Young, UCF to a degree. Uh, you're right, Jim. It's the game within the game. A lot of money at stake. 
uh, of course. And, uh, boy, Houston, very impressive. I, I was going to mention it to Gerald McCoy uh, in the Buck locker room, Jim, yesterday, but I, I, I didn't want to get McCoy too depressed because he, <laughs> he believes, uh, you know, he believes Oklahoma. But uh, Joe's right. Uh, at this point, Houston looks like they can play with anybody in the country outside of uh, Nick Saban's uh, bailiwick over there. Well, they're they're a pro team anyway, so. Um. <laughs> you know, it, it was really it's appropriate to put USF and Houston in the same conversation because these are schools that are in two of the most football crazy parts of the country. And in USF's case, probably one of the hotbeds for college football and one of the places where college football is followed more passionately than pretty much any other sport. And they still have to carve out their own identity separate from that of Florida, Florida State, or Miami. And, of course, they're a newer school to it. They're, they don't have the size or the resources of a Florida State or a Miami or a, um, or a Florida. Sorry, Miami's not that huge of a school. They're just a huge football program, and they absolutely destroyed their opponent this week. But you have South Florida and you have Houston that are both the almost afterthought programs in these states and they don't obviously they don't want to be anymore and they deserve better and they're really trying to carve out an identity for themselves so it'll be interesting to watch both of those teams this year as they both grow their team and they grow their fan base you know uh, i got an email the other day from people asking about the big 12 and what's going on with that and i was heavily involved in a number of these reshaping of conferences um, over the past few years. And uh, I'll tell you, one of the things that um, helps both of those teams is that they're rounded throughout the entire, um, throughout their entire sports department. They're not just a football school that happens to play basketball, baseball, and other things. And I think that's where UCF is in trouble and some of the other schools. If you had to rank them, um, who's coming in? I know for a fact that that Cincinnati's going to be right there because they've been uh, they've been on the cusp for a, a while getting into the conference in large part because they're being pushed by West Virginia, who's saying, "Look, you know, we we got in there and we don't have anybody that's close to us, and Cincinnati would be a natural." in that regard. Uh, but after that point, guys, you know, it really is kind of interesting because Houston has got problems. Houston's problem is the University of Texas would, you know, would rather, you know, anybody in the world get in there than Houston. They don't want Houston in the conference. And pretty much as Texas goes, so goes that. BYU has a problem. Even though they have a phenomenal national following, BYU's problem is that they, because of their religious situations, they do not play sports on Sundays. And, you know, as you know, guys, baseball and some of these other sports are played on Sundays and, and it becomes an issue for them. So BYU is a problem, got a problem. So there, then where do you go from there? You look at, you know, do you look at Memphis? Do you look at, you know, South Florida, Central Florida? 
Uh, I don't see them going Boise that way. I don't see them going West. Uh, you know, it's going to be an interesting situation on how this, uh, the conference realignment shakes down, especially in who's auditioning for the big 12. Well, there are, Joe, there it are be, allegedly. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be a bad idea for, Joe, it wouldn't be a bad idea for USF's men's basketball program to, uh, to show that they can win a few games. Well, that that's their biggest issue right now is is that their basketball program is is horrible, and uh, they've got a, a a potential NCAA investigation underway, which uh, for academic issues when and the timing couldn't be worse for that. But um, the rest of USF sports are actually very competitive and. Uh, including uh, women's basketball is a regular in the NCAA tournament. Uh, they have, they've had a lot of success uh, in the, in the quote unquote minor sports, which doesn't matter mostly to media types, but I think it does matter uh, to athletic directors and to college presidents. So um, what I was going to say earlier though, was that there allegedly uh, has been an elimination of a, of a few teams or a few schools already, uh, including uh, East Carolina and Memphis, uh, have have been uh, told that uh, they're not going to be considered uh, for uh, Big Big Twelve expansion. So the question then becomes: Okay, does the Big Twelve want to plant their flag in Florida, much the way the uh, the Atlantic Coast Conference did? Uh, way back when, when they added Florida State and Miami, is the Big 12 going to sit back and let the third most populous state be the sole property of the SEC and the ACC? I think that would be foolish on on uh, the Big 12's behalf, and which is why I think that uh, you, both USF and UCF, have a chance. Um, how that shakes down, I couldn't begin to tell you at this point. Although um, what your uh, your reference about Cincinnati uh, seems to be uh, viable, Oklahoma also apparently supports Cincinnati's entry into the conference. It makes geographic sense uh, to put a partner near West Virginia and so on. But Florida just keeps growing and the athletes are still here. And if the Big 12 uh, schools want to get in here and start getting their share of them, they need to be more visible or uh, the SEC is going to keep scooping up athletes out of the state of Florida and the ACC. And that's going to put the uh, Big 12 at a competitive disadvantage, I believe. I think that um, if I were South Florida and Central Florida, I think I would work together and lobby together to come in as a team. I, I I wouldn't I wouldn't try to you know knock one off at the other. Central Florida's big problem is other than football, and they had you know that was when O'Leary was there. Things were looking really good for them. Um, other than football, their basketball program and most of the other athletic you know situations over there just isn't uh, they're just not up to par. And frankly, as we know, guys, there's three things, three elements to this. If you want to come to a conference, you got to play football well, you got to play basketball competitive well, and 
thirdly, the Olympic sports, which Joe, you were talking about earlier, those become important because that's what you drive a network with. So when, you know, you've got in, in some regards, Tim and I were talking the other day about the big 10 getting into lacrosse and hockey. Why did they do it? Cause they have a network that needs programming. So they now have a hockey situation and they have a, uh, lacrosse situation so it really boils down to uh you have to have more than just a good football program to get into um, a conference especially when they're paying you somewhere in the neighborhood of anywhere between you know depending on who you listen to between 18 million and 22 million or 24 million dollars a year uh from television revenue and from well, my and that, perspective, I, I certainly am still waiting for the Big Ten's apology for starting a college hockey conference. Because as a college hockey fan, that is that has had some repercussions that have really, you know, that's thrown realignment into a sport that didn't that had its own unique conferences. So, you know, much like we're talking about the Big Twelve and all these other conferences expanding in football and the ever changing landscape, now that's spilling into other sports. So. You know, uh, Jim, one thing we haven't touched on uh, in this wide-ranging uh, forum, uh, look, th- there's a hurricane warning uh, going on in this state um, down in Coral Gables, uh, and we talked about it last week. Joe mentioned about the excitement that this new coach has brought to Hurricane fans, uh, and I think it's always better, guys, when UM uh, is in the conversation uh, in terms of college football, you, you know, they, they draw a lot of emotions. Uh, people love them, they hate them, but they're interested. And it looks like UM is relevant uh, once again. Well, and you hang 70 points on anybody, you're relevant. Uh, they put up 70 points on, on Florida A&M. Iron and I, you know, we talked about this last week. I don't see anywhere where Mark Rick is not going to have success. I, I don't think that's, I think he's, he's, he's locked in on that. And uh, it should be interesting to see how that whole thing plays out with him, but it's good that he's back. And uh, you're right. You're not, anybody that sleeps on, uh, on Miami's going to get in trouble. Oh, I don't think anybody's going to sleep on Miami. Um, when you look across the sideline, you see Mark Rick over there and, and, uh, you know you're going to be in for for a battle. Uh, prepares his teams extremely well. Um, you know, certainly had Georgia in the conversation every year. People forget uh, came within an eyelash uh, just uh, a couple of years ago of beating Alabama in the SEC title game. Uh, I think if they'd had one more play, they might have done it. But uh, he is um, he is a class act from start to finish. And what's different from about Rick than some of the other coaches that they brought into to Miami uh, in an effort to kind of change their image from you know the back in the days of Warren Sapp and all that nonsense that was going on down there is that Mark Rick can run a disciplined ship but he's also going to win a lot of football games. And at the end of the day, that's really what matters. And so I think um, it may take uh, a while 
to put his stamp completely on the program because remember he got a late start, uh, you know, uh, being hired there uh, just as recruiting season was was hitting its its full stride. So uh, give him time, but I think they're going to be good this year, and then I think they're going to be a uh, a national force to be reckoned with going forward. And by the way, the 70 points they put up the other night on FAMU, they yeah. did in three in three quarters. They they uh, <laughs> they uh, they called on Ira Kaufman to play quarterback in the fourth quarter just to keep the thing uh, from getting out of hand. So well, um, it sounds to me like a Spurrier game. Remember when when Steve would have hang 50, 60, 70 points on a team and. Somebody at the end would say, hey, did you think that you're pushing, you know, too hard? And he goes, I was down to my fourth team. What do you want me to put the band in? <laughs> you know, well, that's I about what it in that third quarter. <laughs> Just the third alone, 42 points. 42 points. Oh, and and, you know, and let's, uh, let's be charitable here. FAMU is really not a good football team. They've got a lot of issues at this point. Uh, it's kind of a magic name in football, but that, you know, they're, that is not a worthy test of a University of Miami. Having said that, the, you're supposed to beat a team uh, by that margin if you're Miami playing FAMU, and they and they did. So good on them. They don't have the same problem Florida did of having played an opponent they were supposed to wipe off the map, and now they have these questions about how they didn't quite do that Miami took care of their business and you know they have their own every school has their own say in their own schedule to a degree but you still you get your schedule and you have to play the games in front of you and and Miami certainly played that one about as well as you could it's it's almost a small miracle that Florida A&M scored three points Jim, do you think, uh, Jim, do you think that uh, some of these teams that scheduled uh, difficult opponents in their season openers and, and paid the price with a loss, uh, do you think uh, in future years that that could reverse this trend and uh, and we go back to scheduling uh, cupcakes for uh, for week one? It could, but I, I tend to think that that in some regards, it's a it's a good thing. I mean, I think that when you see these teams face each other, you're seeing quality football right off the get-go. And I think that people also have to remember, these are actually, you know, when you play in these games, you're getting, you know, not exactly orange bowl money, but you're getting, you're getting some serious, you know, some serious cash walking away from Jerry's house. You know, the two teams, anybody that plays a preseason game like this is walking away with two, two and a half million dollars for their, you know, for their trip, which is uh, certainly not anything to sneeze at. And uh, so I think that uh, that it's possible, Iris, some, some sure are going to look at it and go, why did we start, you know, I'm, I guarantee you, Jim, Jimbo Fisher this morning is like, why did, you know, why did we start with Mississippi? I know Stoops is going, why did we start with Houston? But, um, you know, it is what it is. And, and I do believe it really boils down to the coach and the athletic director. You know, do they want to go old school and, and try to play some uh, some cupcakes early on? Or, or do they want to just uh, jump right in and see if they can play with uh, 
with the big boys right off the get-go. Uh, well, there's there's another factor there, Jim, too, sure. is that last night Florida, uh, Florida State and Ole Miss had a captive audience. They were the only game to watch. Right. And so you have a, a – uh, in, in the case of these two programs, you had a four-hour infomercial mm-hmm. on national television on a holiday uh, – to to showcase your program, so uh, you're not going to get that uh, if you're playing UMass. You right. know, you're you're not going to get on national TV. But uh, so that is why I think these elite programs uh, will continue to be attracted to these uh, tough opening games. And you know, most every coach would think that uh, they'll pour mouth out one side, and out of the other side of their mouth, they're going, "We can beat these guys and really help ourselves." Uh, down, set ourselves up for the uh, the rest of the season. So I I commend um, all these schools that that aren't afraid to take on the big boys right off the bat. I wholeheartedly agree, and I think there's another thing at play as well. It's it is rough for a school to start off against a good school and lose. That's obviously, especially for teams that have playoff hopes. They now are hanging by a thread already. But then you have the other side of the coin. Tennessee came into the season at number nine. And certainly any Gators fans listening to this, that's the big game they have circled on their early schedule is that annual game with Tennessee, and that should be a really good one. Tennessee played Appalachian State. And that's a name college football fans remember from a few years ago when they walked into Michigan and beat Michigan. And then here they were last week. They took Tennessee to overtime, and the end. The final score was thirteen to twenty. So Tennessee ended up looking about as bad as you can look in a win, even though they they did play all right. And Appalachian State is a better team than we might expect. But that was a team scheduling what would be considered by a lot of people a cupcake, and it almost became the poison cupcake that destroyed their whole season. <laughs> yeah, if uh, if App State had, had a uh, reliable kicker in that game, we're going back to uh, Aguayo last night from FSU, but in the special teams argument, but if App State had, had a kicker, they they probably would have won that game. And you know, that that points out the importance of of the of special teams, but you know, uh, coaches know uh, an App State is going to be a it's going to be a tough day at the uh, at the office, and I would think media people are enlightened enough to know that that's not your your typical uh, cupcake opener. But I don't think fans do. I think fans still look at an Appalachian State and go, "Oh, come on, really? Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna clobber these guys. Be a nice little tune-up for us." They don't realize that there's a lot of good football played uh, at these quote-unquote smaller schools. And that maybe they don't have the depth of a Tennessee or or any of the other big SEC schools, but uh, in an opening game where everybody's healthy and they, these guys are juiced up and ready to go, uh, they can go toe to toe with a with a program like Tennessee. And App State proved that. And uh, all props to them because that was a that was a very good football game for them. No question. Teams also come into those games with a chip on their shoulder. You know, they're, they're the ones that this is their one shot at 
being on SportsCenter, being on the being the talk of the country. If you can if you can beat the ranked team that scheduled you week one, that becomes the story of the whole season for a school like App State. And it's built their program so much. That game against Michigan, they were they were a very good FCS school at the time, but they've become an even bigger program now. So it, it there it, it's it's a point where you invite those cupcakes in and you're giving them an opportunity and it's a very small one. They have to put everything has to work out perfectly, but if they get it, you just made their entire program. Joe makes a great point, Jim. Go ahead. Jim, uh, Joe, Joe makes a great point in terms of, uh, look, if your coach and your AD have a lot of confidence in your program that you're going to win week one, no matter who you face, uh, there's a lot to be said with starting off with a strong opponent. Uh, there are there are definite benefits to it, and uh, I think you said it right, Jim. Uh, it all depends on the on the mindset of the AD and the coach, the faith they have that they're going to get the job done. Right, and hopefully they will. I'll tell you what, guys, it's about that time. We're going to wrap things up. We'll talk a little bit about um, give you each one a game that you're going to be looking forward to hopefully this coming week. And um, while you're thinking about it, Joe, you'd brought up about FAMU. Um, one day I had an opportunity to sit down with uh, Jake Gaither when Jake was still involved with FAMU. And uh, I asked him about um, Eddie Robinson at Grambling. And we're talking about teams that, you know, basically were, were loaded like Alabama, and he gave me the greatest line. He said, at, Al at, at uh, Grambling, Eddie Robinson doesn't uh, rebuild. He, he erases and replaces. <laughs> and uh, I, I think that that's the kind of situation you have in an Alabama, certainly at an FSU and some of these other schools. You don't, as Jake aptly put it, you don't rebuild, you replace, you know, erase and replace. So, you know, with that, I'll go... Um, Ira, any uh, specific game you're looking at uh, this coming week that you think ought to be fun to watch? Jim, I'm, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna lead with this. Um, mm -hmm. I don't care what happens this weekend. Mm -hmm. uh, you're you're not you're not gonna top what we just witnessed um, from start to finish. Uh, and of course, uh, Monday night's game was an apt uh, final chapter. Right. Uh, in my opinion, um, that is one of the great college football weekends in, in recent memory. Uh, I don't think there are a lot of scintillating matchups in week two. Um, but going forward, uh, you know, you're, you're going to have your, your Florida, you know, Tennessee games in Knoxville mm -hmm. down the road. Um, but Joe, as far as I'm concerned, uh, this last weekend is going to last a while. Outstanding weekend. That is absolutely for sure. And um, But uh, there is one game I'm going to be uh, very curious uh, to see. And no, it's not Louisiana Monroe going to play Oklahoma. Uh, I think that's, <laughs> we're gonna, that one could be in the 70s. But uh, I'm going to be curious to see Virginia Tech 
and Tennessee after that kind of uh, lame effort the other night by Tennessee. Uh, Virginia Tech in with a new coach to replace uh, the legendary Frank Beamer. Uh, it's a primetime game on uh, Saturday night at Bristol Motor Speedway. So um, let's um, let's let's uh, keep an eye on that game. Like Joe Jackson Gibbs will be watching him. Yeah. Tim, anything you uh, looking forward to this week? Well, I I don't think I would say I'm looking forward to this, but after their performance at UMass, even though Kentucky's 0-1, I would have to say Florida might be on a little bit of an upset watch this week. If they play like they played in the first three quarters against UMass, I can't imagine them beating an SEC opponent. They have to play more like that fourth quarter. They have to build off that finish or they're going to be in trouble. And for a team that came in ranked 25, that's a big deal. And I also think as great as Miami looked and as heavily favored as they're going to be against Florida Atlantic, as someone who went to a city school that is a rival with local city schools and other sports, I'm, I understand the chip on the shoulder, the little guy versus the big guy kind of a matchup. And everyone associated with Florida Atlantic University would be ecstatic. It would make their year if they were to somehow upset Miami or even hang with Miami. So that will be an interesting game to watch from a local perspective because talking about programs that are trying to build their identities and find their way, Florida Atlantic's one of them, and there they are right by Miami. So that could end up being a one-sided local rivalry in a way. Absolutely. It'll be a lot of fun to see. And and they have given um, Miami some fits in the past. And um, we'll see. We'll see how it works out. My cousin went to Florida Atlantic, so it'd be nice for him, too. All right. Guys, I'll tell you what. Why don't we do our social media situations? Ira, you've got a story up on on Sports Talk Florida, which people should read about Florida State. And uh, tell us a little bit about how we can check you out on Twitter. You can always get me on Twitter, uh, at ikaufman76. I will continue to monitor. Uh, college football uh, across this great uh, sunshine state of ours uh, and weigh in, Jim, on occasion uh, mm-hmm. on, on several other topics. I should hope. Yes, sir. Tim, where can we get to? Uh, I am on Twitter at Tim Writes Sports and watch for me on Sports Talk Florida this week. I'll have a lot of baseball stuff coming. It's the stretch run, so there's something every day. Okay, great. And Joe? Uh, you can find me on Twitter uh, at the initial J Henderson Tampa. All right, gentlemen, that concludes our edition of the Sunshine Boys podcast. We took a look at what happened week one in college football and a little preview into week two and beyond. Hope you enjoyed everything right here on new on sportstalkflorida.com and blogtalkradio.com. For Ira Kaufman, Jim Williams, and Joe Henderson, I'm Jim Williams. Until next time, have a great day.